Welcome to the Always On Podcast. I'm your host, Duncan McPherson. On this podcast, our objective is to enable our audience, which are high caliber fee-for-service professionals, to always be working on their business and on themselves, personally and professionally. To that end, on today's podcast, I had a very in-depth conversation with Sherry Polly. Sherry is a longtime Pareto business consultant and a speaker on practice management, unrivaled in terms of her reputation and impact. And in this episode, we discussed many factors that contribute to maximizing your liquidity event, your enterprise value, and how to monetize your life's work. Whether it's to achieve that work optional lifestyle, continuity and secession, or full-on retirement. If you like this podcast, please like and share and tell your colleagues. And if you have any ideas or topics you'd like to hear on this podcast in the future, just let us know. Thanks for listening. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this conversation around a very powerful and timely question. Are you 10 years or less from selling your practice? Now, right up front, this is going to be less of a presentation and more of a virtual consultation because we're going to provide you with a panoramic framework for how to approach either maximizing your life's work and retiring happy or just to move into that work optional lifestyle where you can actually depersonalize your business, meaning your clients appreciate your practice and process as much as they appreciate you. This is such an incredible topic. And I'm so happy to have one of the preeminent practice management and business development consultants in the industry joining us here today, Sherry Pale, who I've known for, Sherry, it must be at least 15 years. I think longer. <laughs> it's gone oh, so and what's great, yeah, it might be longer. I should probably look back. But what I love about this is that Sherry actually started as a client. Mm-hmm. And she just absolutely hit it out of the park in terms of adoption and deployment of best practices, but also the refinement and development of best practices. So I'm going to give Sherry a a moment to introduce herself uh, in just a second, but I just want to remind everybody, in the spirit of beginning with the end in mind, I don't know if it's going to be 10 years for you or five years. I mean, you look at how fast the last five years just flew by. The next five are going to come and go. And we just want to make sure that you're prepared. And we want to expand your thinking around what it means to maximize your liquidity event. You know, a lot of people, especially lifetime, lifelong planners, They sort of borrow the basketball phrase, nothing but net. They focus on the net, net revenue, net income, you know, profitability, and all of that is very, very important. But as a fee-for-service, knowledge-for-profit professional, your business goes so far beyond just those quantitative elements 
especially when it comes to inter, uh, intellectual property. So with that, Sherry, thank you so much for all the work that you put into this. And it's not just the preparation for, for this today, but just the years of you working with such incredibly high caliber teams. And, and to that point, share with us what prompted this. Like, why did you and I, especially why did you insist that we do this deliverable and, and provide it to the marketplace? Let's launch with that. Absolutely. So it really came from a, a side conversation you and I had when we were working on something else. And I said, oh, by the way, you know, one of the clients I absolutely love working with, you know, we've transformed her practice to the place where it's that good news, bad news scenario where she got to the point where she was ready to sell it, which means, you know, I won't get to work with her anymore, uh, which is sad, but we've achieved everything that she set out for. And what was really exciting for me in this conversation and what made me compelled to share it with Duncan is I know that he's created the Pareto process to achieve exactly this. I've heard you say it a thousand times, Duncan, when you build a business, you build it to sell it at some point. And when I was talking to this client and we were discussing all our options and she was kind of putting pen to paper around the finalizing of it, she said that what they valued her business at was, and this is her word, surreal and I said to her you deserve every penny of that uh, and more because of the heart and soul that you and your entire team have devoted into really you know transforming that practice and they were they were doing they had a really like all of our clients Duncan they have great practices already and we come in and we help them elevate and distinguish from the competition so they already were doing some fantastic things but I'll admit it, they were doing some old skill things. I remember uh, showing up for the site visit and they pulled out the paper calendar, the paper calendar. This was three years ago that they kept the client appointments on. And she said, I take this home on the weekend so I know what's coming up. And when I asked them how they manage their team communication, I literally someone held up a post-it note and I said, good Lord. <laughs> and I mean, they've just really leaned into the people, the process, adopting a CRM, which is now that engine of their practice, they are the Cinderella ending. And that's what I want for everyone that I work with. Well, it's so interesting because for years I've been talking about the entrepreneurial paradox, which says you're truly successful and on the verge of a massive breakthrough the day you've made yourself obsolete, the day your business can run like a Swiss watch without you being there, because now you've got something with incredible value and again, intellectual property. But I didn't really think about our role. Our role is we're truly successful when we've made ourselves obsolete with our clients. It's not that they've outgrown us, it's just, it's come to the end because now they can have their, their breakthrough. So interesting, I'm glad that's what prompted this. So, so Sherry, let's have this discussion and get into the weeds here on this sequence. So a couple of questions that we're going to help you answer as we work through this is, you know, what can I start doing now to plan for my eventual exit? You know, you open by saying, you know, are you thinking of this in the next 10 years? Because there's there's quite a long range and, and, and variability around how long or short people actually plan for this execution. And one of the things we're going to talk about, Duncan, is, you know, plan for the unplanned and the unforeseeable, because I guarantee you that is going to creep up in your succession planning somewhere. How do I ensure my legacy is intact long after your exit? 
one of the one of the things that I love about the teams that I work with is there is a genuine concern that all of their clients will be well looked after long after they move into retirement and that the business is going to last for generations after they're gone. So they they really do want to make sure that this isn't just a, a transaction, that it is something much, much bigger than that. And then what are the highest contributors to building enterprise value? And again, I want everyone I work with to use that word surreal when they come back and talk to me about what their business valuation was. Yeah, that's very good. And there's the old chestnut in planning that strong positions lead to good decisions. And when somebody has put in the work and they've developed this IP and they've propelled their enterprise value, they can come to a point of peace where they can make a really good decision. And, and we've seen this also. This is especially true when it comes to bringing on a protege to maybe take the torch, could be a family member, could be just a, a, a protege that's sort of drafted in behind the mentors, but they will ultimately acquire the business. Um, we don't want to get into the situation where the business is gifted. I mean, it's got to be that liquidity event, but enterprise value is such a profound element in the fee-for-service business so far beyond the, what's what's expected in terms of EBITDA and just recurring revenues and things like that. So I'm really looking forward to this. So a lot of times people will start with you sort of the who and, and you touched on it. Like, who, what, is it a family member? Is it a, a an advisor that's sort of being drafted in? And one of the things that I ask people to look at is sort of where are you at today in terms of the bigger picture. And so, you know, honestly, you know, here's here's a variety of responses. You know, people are people are excited about their exit plan. People are not excited about their exit plan. You know, a lot of people admit to me that they love what they do and they wish they could do it forever, but they also have this work-life balance, that work optional um, scenario that they're looking for to take more time off to travel and have adventure and be with family. Maybe you're sitting here today watching this and thinking my exit plan has dramatically changed. And that's what I talk about in terms of plan for the unexpected. And we'll talk about what some of those scenarios have, have crept into the lives of the clients that I've worked with. And some of them may be relatable to you as you sit here today and watch this. But and then some of you may be joining this today wondering what can I what can I do to get started? Because I'm starting, you know, being looking at the exit strategy is just becoming on my radar. So I'm at the, the sort of the infancy stage of planning that. What are the next steps that I need to do? And, and some of you are probably like, I really need to focus on my exit plan. And it's interesting, Duncan, because there's there's a variety of reasons why people will start talking about their succession plan. And one of the advisors that I work with for a long, long time, you know, she recently she had a she had an exit plan, but it was much longer term. And then fairly recently her mother had some you know significant health issues and she is the primary caregiver for her mother and her her succession plan got blown up because the timeline that she had originally set won't work for her now and so i'll talk about that a little bit later when we get into adjusting and pivoting to the realities of today and even the best laid plans don't always um, come forth like we expect them to yeah, we've seen that so many times being derailed by duty or a, a lightning strike or whatever the force majeure, whatever the case may be, there can be disruptions. 
what I love about those questions, it just kickstarts the self-assessment, which leads to self-awareness. I got to tell you something. I'm trying to get better at golf. <laughs> and, you know, so I've been playing with some friends who are better than me, which is annoying at times, but they give me little tips and I try to apply them. And I have these little sort of flickers of breakthroughs. And then, unbeknownst to me, I was swinging and somebody videotaped, video recorded me on their phone. And they said, look, I could tell you all day what you could do, but you need to see yourself hitting a golf ball. And then he pointed out the little tweaks. And, and it was primarily my finish, like how I finished the swing and how I held my finish. It was so profound from a self-awareness perspective that now it's etched. And, you know, I don't mean to oversimplify it from a business perspective, but that's what I'm hoping is going to come from this is that self-awareness that everybody can apply as they work through your framework here. So, yeah, great start. And when it comes to sort of like what's on your, your wish list, again, it's because we work with such, you know, high caliber teams, you know, most, you know, the top of the list is that franchise ready. I mean, this is the thing that most business owners quite honestly dream about. You know, when I talk about building a procedures manual and using a CRM to fully automate everything, you know, their eyes light up like this is this is what they've they've always wanted to achieve. And so that's sort of at the top of the list. And, and, and in with that is maximizing their life's work. Like when, when this advisor used that word with me, Duncan Surreal, I'm like, you have, you have, this is your life's work. I mean, her business that she built was, you know, from the, the ground up. And I, I know one of the, the challenges that advisors that are looking at succession planning, they built their businesses on the back of blood, sweat and tears the hard way with the cold calling and the pavement pounding and 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 there's a little bit of a i don't even know what the right word is resistance hesitation to take all of that life work and just turn it over to someone else who's you know hasn't put any of that in like it's and, and especially when you look at the different sort of generations and their work ethics and their work styles there's there's definitely some sort of clashes there around expectations and and people leaning in and you know when they're looking at assessing who's going to take their business over I often hear well they just don't have the passion or they just don't have the drive and so that's kind of a subset of symptoms you know around deciding who's going to take your your business over and it makes it really difficult when you're thinking about your your life's work making sure the the successors who take it over are happy and continue to be motivated because again the people that I work with don't look at this as simply a transaction they're really looking for this to be successful for the clients, for the team, to the, the people that are taking it over well into the future and establishing that legacy. Nobody wants to sell a business and find out a year later that, you know, all the clients left and nobody was happy. That's not the goal here. So in terms of, of that, and then there's a few other things that that come up on the list around, you know, succession planning goals. And there's that client focus because all of the people that we work with are sort of clients first. And I think that's one of the reasons why I've been doing this so long and why I love the Pareto process is because as much as it is about serving the advisor and the team, it is extremely client focused. You know, I have to constantly remind my teams that I work with that 80 percent of what they do is a very small subset advisors in North America actually even trying to, to to achieve that so they're in this elite group the the other thing is um you know that seamless transition for clients so 
The team that I think of immediately right here is an advisor that I work with who they're actually not transitioning out. They're helping another advisor transition out. And we've mm -hmm. had the five year plan for them. And it starts off really small. Like for those of you who have a little bit of hesitancy or fear around succession planning, because that is that's a real thing. It's it's, you know, moving into the next chapter, making a big life decision. We started with a five year transition plan and year one was really, really basic. And every year you kind of layer on some extras. We're in the fifth year. Uh, the fifth year, it, it, we're, we're that clock strikes December of 2023, and we're looking at it going, wow, we can't believe those four years went so quickly. And in this situation, the advisor who's leaving doesn't actually want to leave. It's because of health reasons. They have to leave. And so when we're talking about succession planning, and I said there's so many different reasons why people leave, his health is, is such that he can't continue. And mm -hmm. so the team that I'm working with is sensitive to the fact that although they're excited to transition these clients, this guy isn't marking his retirement with a cake and a candle. This is something that he's begrudgingly doing because he has to and he doesn't really want to let go. And so we have to take that into consideration as we're trying to move him through that timeline and making sure his clients don't feel it as sort of an abrupt change. So it's almost like the not the Nissan Datsun thing, you know, when Nissan bought Datsun and then they didn't just take the Datsun logo off. They put Datsun dash Nissan, then they switched it and then they removed it. And now all of a sudden everybody's driving Nissans. That's kind of the purpose of these longer term succession plans. And the ones that work the best are longer term and they're really well thought out. Wow. No, right to, right to the heart with the uh, car analogy. Wow. I'm a car guy and I love that. And, you know, there's actually talk, Sherry, that they might go back to Datsun, but who oh, knows? No. <laughs> but, you know, you, you made a couple of key points there. First of all, your your point about legacy and and the sweat equity and, and all of the reputational elements that have gone into these long-term relationships, that's such a big deal that we like to honor in our approach. However, and we're, what we're seeing more often in the last couple of years especially, back to your point about being client-centered, is that clients are actually driving the conversation by asking the advisor the question, what happens to us when you're not here? Like when you decide to bow out, like they're actually opening up the can of worms. And so we want you to get so far out in front of that. And uh, the other thing I'm gonna say, and somebody pointed this out to me a couple of weeks ago, I, I was giving the advisor permission. I said, you've, like you were saying, you've earned this. You, the, the culmination, you've earned the right to have your event and of monetization. And you know what he said? He said, you know what's really cool about this is that because I've bought in and I've been very selective in terms of the clients I've attracted, I know they're going to be happy for me that I'm going to have this outcome because they also know that I'm going to approach it very methodically and incidentally, and I'm jumping ahead, but I just have to say this because one of the things that prompted that conversation is I said to him, whatever entity acquires your business, follow PSP. So make sure there's a philosophical fit. Mm -hmm. You see the world the same way. Make sure there's a strategic fit, meaning the client is elevated and then have that cascade to a practical outcome where the monetization is, is what you hope for. 
it, it just flips it where don't lead with the money, finish with the money, lead with the other dynamics that impact legacy and reputational equity and that fulfillment, especially if the person is kind of being forced out based on, you know, that health issue you're describing. So yeah, this is just excellent stuff. Yeah, and, and the last two there, Duncan, you know, no snags uh, with the financing. And what's interesting is, you know, I, I have had this come up where there is a, a successor in place. And when it gets time to put pen to paper around actually moving it forward and putting deadlines in, that individual starts to be forced to, to think like a business owner, not just an advisor. And they realize they don't have the ability financially or the desire to take on the risk of being an owner. And so you can talk about succession planning conceptually for years with someone, but once you start actually mapping out a plan, that's mm -hmm. when it becomes real. I, you know, it's almost like when your your kids getting ready to move out and you're kind of lecturing them about rent and hydro and food and all that kind of, they're eating your groceries like, you know, there's no tomorrow. Then they move out on their own and they experience what it's like to get their paycheck and have to figure all of that out. It it really starts to crystallize that. And, and at the end of the day, you know, most of the people that I work with, they want to sleep like a baby at night. Like they don't want this to be a negative event. They want this to be something that's well thought out, well planned out, and that they can just sail off into that next chapter without a, without a worry of any kind. That's solid. So first question that people will ask me is like, who, like who, who's going to be taking on the, the, the business? And that kind of cascades into, you know, what do they need to know? When will it happen? And how exactly will it transition? And we're, we're going we're gonna to cover all that today. But was there anything that you wanted to say here, Duncan, just around some of the experiences you've had with some of your teams recently around their take on the, the succession plan? Well, what's really interesting, and again, in the spirit of just expanding your thinking, this exercise just forces you to think things through that you might not have considered. And we've been around the block. I pretty much think we've seen it all. For those advisors that go through this exercise and they come out of it rejuvenated saying, you know, I, I thought I wanted to get out of the business, but in fact, by doing this, I actually see myself sticking around, which has its unintended consequences too, but that's another conversation. But what's interesting is that we've seen in the last couple of years how private equity firms will get involved to allow the advisor to de-risk and monetize, but it's a sell and stay dynamic with a kicker after three to five years. So if you're prepared and you go through the exercise, no matter what comes out of it, just embrace cause and effect, embrace the activity, get it all out of your head, and then make good decisions around the productivity based on where your mindset is at and, and your aspirations and, and things like that. So that's the only thing I really wanted to chime in with there. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned like the timelines and like, it's kind of like one of the things that's neat is advisors can go out on their own terms, really. So, yeah. you know, if you build that franchise model and you have that work optional light, lifestyle you can be taking all the trips and have a reduced workload and still be like engaged to the degree that you want to with the business but when you are ready to turn over reins and it's interesting I had a conversation with a, another team and we we're working on their was five now four-year transition plan 
And I said, so are you going to do you plan to be involved at all, like part time? And this advisor was really self-aware. And they said, you know, I, like everything in life, I'm either all in or I'm all out. Like I, I I'm going to go full throttle to the last day, Sherry. I'm not going to have this work optional lifestyle. That's just who I am. And so there's there's different ways to to view this. And I think that's really important that there's lots of different ways you can do this. And really, because you're the owner of the business, you can often set the tone and do it on your own terms. Well, and that is very personal because in light of our current market turbulence, it's revealed some advisors saying, you know what, it's just getting too hard. The friction, the compliance, the minutiae, I just, and then, you know, on the other side of that, you see advisors saying, no, no, this, this is where I can really win. This is where I can galvanize my sense of purpose and my fulfillment. So it's interesting. Same market conditions can impact two people very differently. It's quite revealing. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to who, and this is probably the one of the biggest questions, you know, I've, I've worked with people who have their succession team in place. So over the years, they've they've carefully and thoughtfully added the right people with that mindset, having those discussions. I've also got Duncan teams that are they're, they're, they're looking for those right people and and they're hard to find and it takes time. So, again, the 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 mantra of this webinar is like, are you within 10 years? Because even if you're within 10 years, you know, you've heard me talk about a five year plan a few times now. And the thing is, it might take you five years to find that those people that are going to be your, your successor. So if you're 10 years out, you might need to start looking now just to put those initial pieces in place. Also, you know, some will sell their practice to another FA. And the team that I think about for this is, Again, that individual who she had a succession planning timeline that really got completely blown up by her mother. And, and, and she she had somebody in place to 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 buy part of the practice from her and they weren't prepared financially to do so. So she was forced then just because of the immediacy and urgency of what her mother needed from her to just carve off a piece of her book and align it with someone that she fully trusted, but has, you know, obviously the timeline around that wasn't what she wanted because the plan changed and her life circumstances required that. And so I was really proud of her because, you know, she's she's built a really tight quality book. Like there are no there are no dregs or, or smaller clients. They're all great clients. So now we just refer to her forever clients, which is, you know, the batch that she's kept. Mm. But that wasn't part of her original plan. That was something that bore out of a change in circumstances that kind of unfolded into her having to change the way that she was planning for succession. And then the um, individual who used the word surreal, selling her practice to the firm was not even an option when she started her succession planning. So she had what she thought was bullet number one, succession team firmly in place. And what's interesting is, and I've had a chance to do the on-site visits with these team, this advisor, I just, I have to say so many wonderful things about her because her team was like family. And I mean, she provided breakfast and lunch 
in the kitchen to everyone. She knew her team had kids and family commitments and obligations. She said, Sherry, if there's one less thing they have to worry about stopping and grabbing breakfast or packing a lunch because they're trying to get their kids off to school, they just come up, show up at the office and the food is here for them. That's just one less thing for them to worry about. You know, she, she I remember her telling me she took them all to like a new kids on the block concert, that she employed the services of a life coach for her team to access. So this, this advisor was doing some really incredible things and it showed with the dedication and strength of her team. Like they gave back to her as much as they, she gave to them. As she moved into the space of succession planning with them and she was telling them that here's what I do as a business owner and I'm gonna need to carve different pieces off to each of you so that I'm doing less and you're doing more she faced what was first sort of a subtle resistance and then it became a more overt resistance to them taking on these additional responsibilities. And finally, like anything else in life, it gets to the tipping point where everybody had to sit down and have a serious conversation. And what she learned is they love the clients. They love the business. They love their role on the team. They don't want to be a business owner. And so it completely threw her for a loop because she had carefully handpicked all these wonderful people. There was three of them to carry on the torch of her practice. And she leaned in so hard. And so she had to process that information. So we went back to the drawing board and we we're like, OK, so what are the options? And she works with a firm that has a fabulous buyback program. Her entire team will remain the employees that they want to be. They're gonna do everything that they love doing. They're gonna carry on working with the clients that they know. It is like the most epic win-win-win I have ever seen. And so that was not even on her radar, but just as a matter of circumstances, that's kind of what came to be. Well, first of all, that breakfast and lunch, I mean, that's how you create culture. And in the spirit of, the Confucius mantra to dig your well before you're thirsty, creating culture on the team, not just the adoption of best practices for consistency, but just that really emotional buy-in, that's huge for a potential acquirer because ultimately they want continuity. And just because the lead is leaving in some form, if the team is going to stay in place to some degree and the disruption is going to be minimized or maybe even completely avoided that is so incredibly profound so and, and you know it's interesting because i can relate because i've heard others talk about the fact that there's this sort of dynamic where the lead sometimes wants it more than the team yeah so just having an open and frank conversation really getting to know what motivates the team, what they aspire to, what's important to them, can ensure that the lead is not sort of assuming or forcing something, it is very organic. So these are very good points. And and just a sidebar on this Pfizer, because I know we've talked about, and I, it's kind of gone out of vogue, out of vogue but I've, I've never dismissed the value of the client advisory council. So she had a client advisory council that went beyond 20 years. And some of these people were long-standing members. They really helped her build her business and be successful. And they were so loyal, Duncan, 
that she was telling me that one of them actually got rushed to the ER and wasn't going to make the advisory dinner. And she was one of the phone calls that she got. <laughs> I'm sorry, Marsha. You know, I'm in the hospital. I won't be coming to the client advisory dinner tonight. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, that's how much loyalty she'd created with her clients, with her team, because her whole entire heart and soul was in, in the practice that she was building. Back to that unexpected, you know, plan A, plan B, plan C. We do make assumptions. And, and she made exactly the assumption that you're referring to around, we can't want it more than they do. We tell that to advisors when they when they have a prospect, that's really great. You know, we can't want, at the end of the day, we can't want it more than they do. And the same thing for her team. So although she was very excited about creating this opportunity for them, it wasn't an opportunity that they wanted. Situations changed, like I mentioned with that advisor who had her timeline and then things got expedited because of circumstances beyond their control. People change. I've had teams where they've got the successor there and then all of a sudden, um, you know, one of their, their spouse gets posted out of state and they're leaving. Like there's all kinds of factors that come into play around, you know, systems and economical, the timeline, the process uh, that people are going to go through. So and I don't say this to scare people. I, I say it to be prepared and to be open because, you know, Duncan, I come from a place that whatever is meant to be will be uh, sometimes the path that we get there doesn't look like the one that we wanted or anticipated, but we get there nonetheless yeah 100% and so just you know some of those few life scenarios that I've already referenced but you know that may again some of you may be sitting there listening to that going that's my story Sherry like I'm going through that right now or I've lived through that is you know they don't want to be the owner when you need them to be they're just not ready or they never want to be the owner and there's really nothing we can do about that they leave your team. And I've, I've had that happen where it's been very disheartening that they have mentored and integrated and really put their heart into the soul for the next generation advisor. And for whatever reason, a number of reasons, that person just doesn't, discontinues to be part of the team. They can't afford to be the owner. And that's why I say, you know, starting to put this in writing is really, really important so that people can start to have a realistic framework of how this impacts them financially as an owner. If they're just getting paid out every month as an advisor, you know, you need to start training them on what the costs and the overhead and the payouts are. Um, I have one team that's doing this, it's a family transition. So they're really starting to involve the son more in, you know, what's going like, this is how much that comes in, this is how much the firm takes, this is our overhead, here's how, you have to have that understanding of what it looks like. And sometimes showing them that is enough to, for them to say, I, I, I'm not sure I want to do this, right? And they want to be the owner, this is a big one, but you know, they aren't entrepreneurial. So I've, I've had this where, you know, you've got someone who is a rock star service advisor. They are fantastic at working with the clients you give them, but they don't have any capability of growing the practice. And I'm sure, Duncan, you've met with advisors where it's like some of them have that rainmaking in their DNA, that entrepreneurial spark that isn't something that can be trained in my opinion it's it's either you either have it or you don't have it and so sometimes we bring on those people that like i said they could run the business but 
we're not sure in terms of that goal around a long-term legacy and the, the long-term existence of that practice, if it would be viable because we question their ability to attract and retain new clients and new business over time. A customized podcast can add credibility and efficiency to your communication efforts. Sifting good prospects from the mass of suspects, staying top of mind with strategic partners, and activating more advocacy from existing clients can be achieved with a turnkey approach. Learn more at proudmouth.com. The best place to strengthen a client relationship is in the very place where you manage that relationship. BlueSquareToolkit.com has harnessed the best practices of Pareto systems and brought them to life in our easy to use system that is accessible on both your phone and your desktop. Simple technology to uncomplicate your life by creating clarity, accountability, and consistency for your entire team. Build stronger client relationships by tracking and archiving essential information on what matters in your client's life and make yourself indispensable and more referable in the process. Create a more consistent client experience and grow your business with the Blue Square Toolkit. Visit bluesquaretoolkit.com to get your 14-day free trial today. Well, some of you know very well, Elaine Christakos on our coaching staff. She is a practitioner of the DISC system, understanding personality styles, drivers, and motivators uh, of everybody on your bench. It's such a powerful subset to this exercise, just knowing how your people are wired, what's important to them, what their unmet needs are, what their aspirations are, such a powerful exercise so nothing is assumed or taken for granted and you know we've seen so many examples where as somebody heads down the path of their exit strategy uh it has revealed so much regarding their team things that they didn't know so yeah great to be prepared for that and great to be proactive in applying a process to to understanding the team a little bit better I love those disc profiles. I, I mean, mm. you know, some people don't believe in them, but they are like frighteningly accurate. And they do tell you if someone has a blueprint to be successful within specific roles. Well, and some people do not want to put themselves in a situation where any rejection can occur. And your point about the DNA for rainmaking, that's generally somebody who has had to overcome adversity and rejection and it developed a resilience, but that's experiential. You can't learn that in a simulator. And yeah. so to, to, to expect that everybody can do that, even though our approach is stewardship, not salesmanship, there's a certain mindset and philosophy that has to be in place and you can't force it. Yeah, absolutely. When family is part of the succession plan, now this is interesting because two of the teams that I'm working with, they were in sweet, sweet positions at the firms they were at. I mean, they just had to ride it out, sail off into the sunset, and then all of a sudden, their children are part of the succession plan. 
and they're thinking longer and they're thinking legacy. And both of those teams went through the pain, I'll say it, the pain of moving firms because they wanted to create a foundation for the next generation and they felt the firm they were at wouldn't provide that. Mm. So it's interesting because it's almost like, you know, if you got five years left to retirement, you can just kind of plug away. But then when you think about what that environment, the management, the systems, the culture of that firm is going to offer your son or daughter, who's going to take this on for the next 30 years, that's not a fit. All of a sudden you don't want to put up with it. And so we all know uh, the, the time and effort and energy it takes to move a firm. It is not easy, but that that's something when I see this slide, you know, that that was a profound commitment that each of these teams did for the betterment of the people taking over. The other thing I've seen is when advisors find out that one of their, their children want to take over the business, there's all of a sudden a renewed enthusiasm and, and getting it organized. And, and uh, there's almost like a little bit of a spark that can happen, which is really exciting. But I also caution them around when family is involved, it's that slippery slope to what can be perceived sort of nepotism. And it is important that you have structure in place, that things are transparent, that things are communicated so that assumptions aren't made, false assumptions especially, because it can be concerning to other team members. And, you know, I've, I've had a couple of situations where I've had teams where there is family part of the succession plan, but there's also advisors on the team who aren't family. And that can create some, you know, just some concerns that you have to be aware of and definitely can add an extra level of complexity. You know, even things as simple as they want to go on a vacation and the whole office is gone. <laughs> so, you know, there's there's just that ever extra level. I don't know if you have any particular families that you've worked with or family businesses, uh, Duncan, that you can relate to in terms of the succession planning, uh, just that extra bit of attention you've got to pay. Well, demography is such a powerful force. And a lot of our clients have been in the business 25, 30 years. So we're seeing some of these dynamics come into play. And we've seen examples and warnings. So examples of founders that got it right and warnings uh, of people who didn't and it blew up on them. And I think the operative word, the counter to nepotism is merit. And which is why, by the way, I'm such a huge fan of Tom Dean's book, Every Family's Business, essential reading. Now here's the two for one on this. Not only can the advisor really think it through in terms of what it means to achieve continuity, succession, and family investment legacy based on that, that dynamic, but it also impacts their relevance to their clients because chances are they've got clients that are contending with the same issues. And to be that sort of life coach and family dynamic advisor because they were a serious student about this issue, it helps themselves but it also helps their uh, their impact on their clients. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it is, you know, when you have that demographic where part of your clients are business owners, it is nice to be able to say that you kind of walked in their shoes and shared that family planning, family legacy business goal. But yeah, I've got, I've got several and, and um, you know, I've got one team where it's like two families that are together. It's like the family tree is there. And so getting it right and, and having those plans and, I've even got a couple of teams that they're getting into that mindset of succession planning, 
but their children are are young and they're like well we don't know sherry if they're going to join the business they're kind of in a holding pattern you know to find out over the next sort of three four five years if their child is interested i will say the ones that have been i'm going to say the most successful have actually not hired their children on the team before having experience in the financial services industry so they have actually been hired by sometimes another firm, gone through the new FA training program, kind of gotten their sea legs before brought into the family practice. And I think that the other team members respect that a lot more than just all of a sudden opening the doors and giving them an office. And, you know, you, you just have to be careful about that. Well, that is such a huge point. And you're right. I've seen it many times where an advisor, lead advisors brought in a family member to intern over the summer. And it, it manufactured this unspoken question within the team, like, uh-oh, where is this all going? Yeah. And the really enlightened, they get out in front of that and they say, look, I'm not sure if Junior is going to come on board, but he or she is going to go out and cut their teeth and without any safety net on mm -hmm. their own. And we'll see what happens and how that plays out. Very, very, I guess you could say, bit of tough love. Yeah. But uh, as the saying goes, we're raising them to let them go. Uh, so they need to develop that uh, responsibility and, and um, independence. So, yeah, great points. So back to that, what is your timeline? You know, for those of you that are sitting there thinking, well, yeah, it's really less than three, Sherry, three years, Sherry and Duncan. You know, you, it, it really is time to put pen to paper if you haven't already. It, it Even if you have a plan in place, you know, I encourage you to look at your other options for a plan B and even a plan C, just in case things do go sideways or not exactly as you're planning. If you're in that three to six year range, like I said, most people, it takes about a good five years just to make sure they've got the people in place and they're starting to transition and sort of ease out. Six to 10, you've got a longer timeline. But if you don't have the people in place, you know, that's what you want to use the next few years to do is to sort of identify and groom and get those right fits on your team uh, so that you can put that in place. I will say, you know, this whole be clear, be fair to others. And this comes from this statement. I put there that there on purpose because I, you know, there's a couple of teams where when we talk about the succession plan, they kind of begrudgingly refer to the 10 year plan the perpetual 10-year plan. It's always been 10 years, Sherry. It's still 10 years and five years, it'll still be the 10-year plan. So in fairness to the people that are going to be taking over the reins, you do have to give a reasonably accurate time frame. And I've worked with teams through the coaching process, Duncan, where you know, you've got the senior advisor who's built the book and they're getting ready to succession. And you heard me say, so, you know, do it on your own terms, but communicate it accurately. Because mm -hmm. if you say it's gonna be in five years and that five years turns into 10 or 15 years, nobody's ever gonna believe that you're gone. And I remember the one team that, you know, it was the perpetual five-year plan and finally it was down to the last 12 months. And I joked with the two younger advisors. I said, you probably have an app on your phone. Like you're counting this down. <laughs> and, and it's not that it's not that 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 advisor is doing anything wrong or bad, but it's almost like, you know, when your parents let you have the house for the first time, 
it's like they they just felt like they could exhale and really lean into everything that they they wanted to and that was really their spark and inspiring them and and all the reasons that they fell in love with wanting to buy the business in the first place so you do have to be careful about making sure you're communicating what your reasonable time frame is don't keep extending it it's not fair if you know it's going to be 15 years say it's going to be 15 years well, you've heard me say in the past that uh, my favorite restaurants are an open kitchen because they're so proud of what they do. They show it off. They make it part of the ambiance. Well, I say the th same thing to advisors. Be completely open, completely transparent and client facing. So even share this with clients, like tell your clients and make it about them and what they want. Tell them that you've embraced an exercise for the purposes of refining and optimizing the client experience to harden the process so that it's not just at the mercy of talent. And we've engaged a consulting firm to help us understand what needs to be addressed because we have this plan going forward. So this is very powerful, especially if you work with business owners because they respect you on an even deeper level as a lifelong planner. It's not just that you're planning for the client, regarding their own investments but you're regard you're planning for the client in terms of what their client experience looks like if you're not if you're not present uh, absolutely and 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 you know we've talked a little bit about how you will do it and i know the whole work optional lifestyle is what a lot of people engage pareto to begin with like they they want to be able to take more time and like i said i had that one advisor who's like i'm full throttle to the end and then i'm out i'm 100 percent out <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 me sherry i can't be half in it won't work and then that more relaxed and work optional sort of lead up and where you you, you kind of dabble it i mean i have teams where there's people there's advisors in their 80s still on the team to the degree that they want to be but they they do they absolutely need to know and then the other thing that people will ask me duncan is you know when do we start involving the team and you know, I, I say involve them early and involve everyone just to not only create an awareness and maximize traction here, but I, I just believe in the, the absence of information leads to misinformation and assumptions that can create unnecessary tension and stress on the team. So you really want to help them understand when you're going to do it, how it's going to impact them, what can we all do collectively to prepare. It's interesting. I have a team that I work with and they've just they've just done a phenomenal job and they've added these people. They're they're following the ensemble practice model where they've got specialists and they all work with the clients like the client is shared by everybody on the team. It's really quite fantastic. And one of the newest people that they hired, she's a rock star, but she made a comment to the effect that, you know, what's with all these closed door meetings? Like, I, I wish I, I kind of knew more about what was going on. And, you know, I said, wow, you've hired the right person. She's engaged. She wants to be a part of the process. This is fantastic. So one of the things that we're working on is, you know, making sure they do an annual strategic planning session full day with their entire team. And this is something that, as you know, most of the teams that I work with, I it's it's a must do. It creates buy in to the goals that they're creating over the long term and short term for the team that they're on. And one of the advisors that I did this with last year said something so profound that, that the homework for everybody on the team was that who moved my cheese book because there's been so much change. And the senior advisor said to me, one of the most important phrases in that whole book that stood out to me was change imposed 
is change opposed. And when you have an annual planning session with your team, when you involve them in this, in fact, one of the other teams I work with, the, the sort of the, the overriding theme of their strategic planning session was the five-year transition plan. So like it just kind of removed all the mystery. It involved everybody. They kind of know exactly what to expect. You also have to remember that if someone's working for an advisor who's thinking about selling their business, they might be concerned about job security. You know, they might start looking for somewhere else to be because we're not sharing the information that they need to know. So I say, you know, get everybody involved as soon as possible. Now, I want to ask you a question, Duncan, and and that is um, all about what it's worth, because Pareto is the message around Pareto everywhere is you, you, you build it to sell and you do want to maximize your life's work. So. How, how do you, what are the recommendations you have to the teams I work with around getting evaluation? I thought for sure you were going to ask me um, about my thoughts on the Jenga graphic on that previous slide because <laughs> I'm such a big fan of Jenga. I get instant memories of uh, playing that with my kids and dominating, incidentally. <laughs> you know, I, I have to, you, you prompted me on something way back when I had a profound eureka moment. And this originated in the conversation around branding and articulating value. And the premise was, don't tell the world what you do. Talk in terms of what your clients want and how you get them there. Now, philosophically, that is profound. And, you know, I'll just explain that. What, What your clients want is liberation and order. They want to be liberated to know that they can move in the direction of the best version of themselves and enjoy their lives and their their investments are a means to an end. They want liberation. They also want order. There's no mystery, which means the relationship is not always just looking back at last month's statement and what's happened, but there's future pacing. Liberation and order is what your clients want. Your team wants liberation and order as well. And that is engineered. And the advisor wants liberation and order. So so I just want you to just keep that in mind as you're crafting out your plan and working through this. Now, to get to your point about evaluation, first thing I'm going to say, and I, I forgot to mention this earlier, because of our vast reach in the industry, we've got a huge community. There's also a who dynamic. And what I mean by that is a big part of our approach is that we make introductions Mm -hmm. between buyers and sellers. And there's a like-minded energy there. There's, There's a symmetry. There's an alignment of interest that occurs when two people who have bought into the Pareto approach engage in an exercise to see if there's a good fit on the buy sell. So there's that element. When it comes to valuation, Sherry, and I don't mean to brush this off, Mm -hmm. we've gone very deep on this and we've got a network of people that can help somebody pop the hood and explain the dynamics around valuation and the progression. I do cover this with Chris in the Blue Square Method in that opening chapter because there's three specific drivers around valuation. As you can imagine, the first is everything around what you'd expect, EBITDA, recurring revenues, and things like that. But then it gets into some of the more 
qualitative and abstract around bench strength, around depth and breadth of the client relationships, around process, and then it goes into some of the proprietary elements around intellectual property. I think what I'd like to say there is if somebody wants to have a very meaningful, actionable conversation about valuation, we've cracked that code. We can definitely do that. So give that some thought. If you want to talk about who, you know, is, is there a community of people out there who are thinking of buying or selling? Yes, we can make introductions. Can I consider the, the full panoramic in terms of uh, all the elements to consider around valuation? Yeah, we can provide that too. Perfect. And in the interest of time, you know, I've I wanted to I kind of talked about this advisor as we're going through, uh, you know, the one that sparred this entire conversation to happen today. I, I love what you said. We did our job right. and We've made ourselves obsolete because she sold her practice. She's moving on to the next chapter. She's going to be living the dream. People and roles were clearly defined. Core processes were developed. There was implementation and adoption of the core practice practices. This is critical because you can develop processes, but nobody uses them. <laughs> you know, it has to be actually part of the culture and the day-to-day -day stuff. The full systematization and automa automation. Again, I joked that they were going to put 3M out of business because their post-it note sales were going to suffer such a dramatic hit because they adopted Salesforce. And you know they 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 invested the extra money to have the customization and to have the consulting to get it all right. This system is incredible. They literally transformed the practice, and it was already great to begin with. Like I, I can't emphasize that enough. It was about elevating different areas of it in small ways. You say it all the time, Duncan. Minor changes lead to major improvements, and they they really did put their put their heart into the last three years of making these changes. And now everybody everybody is is super happy about it in terms of the sort of the the pre-succession activities for for maximizing the value clarifying roles and responsibilities you know Pareto has an entire program outside of the total client engagement, which is really about kind of getting the, the nuts and bolts of the operations and servicing and organizing your clients done. And it's called the Exceptional Teams Program. And it has everything you need around developing the blueprint and making sure everybody understands what their roles and responsibilities are, which spills into accountability, which is super important. Making sure you've organized your clients, that you're delivering that proactive client service, uh, and that you have a turnkey onboard, onboarding process. As we like to say, add water and stir. It's that easy. Anyone on the team can do it. Whoops. And then the other thing is developing your playbook. And again, this is, you heard me say their eyes light up when the, with the concept of having a procedures manual. This is something that most business owners that I've worked with have dreamed about. And it's something that gives them peace of mind at night, knowing that everything's documented, all their intellectual property, that they've turned it into something tangible. When you're selling your business and you can show them that you have a playbook, the people evaluating your businesses, they light up because this is very, very rare. That automation of the practice, being that franchise ready and, and really just communicating about your transition plan and timeline. I can't emphasize that enough. You don't want to lose good people because they're not sure or they're making assumptions or basing their decisions on misinformation. Sherry, if I can just remind everybody, and this is Pareto 101, anything that resides solely in your head or in the heads of your team members is a skill. Uh, it's an intention. 
and I'll never trivialize it, but the moment it's documented, it now becomes an intellectual property. And the ability to show someone, not just tell them what makes you different and how you conduct yourself, but to actually show them and to, to talk in meaningful specifics. Like when I ask the question, how many things could you do for a client? How many pieces of the puzzle could you put together for a client? And somebody says, well, we could do 85 things for a client mm -hmm. as opposed to, well, we could do everything. Mm -hmm. Meaningful specifics, all documented and as much emphasis on the practice and the process as the people, you are maximizing enterprise value and achieving massive professional contrast. Okay, here we are. Are you ready to start planning? Things to start thinking about, again, who is gonna take it over? What do they need to know? When will it happen and how exactly will it transition? And the golden rule, if there's nothing else from today, always have a plan B. <laughs> Some people believe that if you uh, have a plan B, it means you're not committed to your plan A. I mean, you live by the rules you set, but yeah, having contingencies, redundancies, insulating yourself from things out of your control, it's always a good idea. Now we have something else exciting to share, and it's all about the PMI. Yes. So, Duncan. Okay, so we're at that phase of the call to action. Where do you go with all this? Okay, so I have this ability to talk about talking about things because I'm so excited about it. Sherry tends to get more into the actionable elements. So between the two of us, I really hope this conversation uh, provoked you to think about, okay, what does it look like going forward? So here's where you can go from here. First of all, if you haven't already done so, I recommend you go to the bluesquaremethod.com and download the sample chapter from that book. Because coincidentally, that chapter puts a huge emphasis on getting yourself prepared, digging your well before you're thirsty around a liquidity event and monetizing your life's work. Okay, that's number one. Number two, professionalize and standardize your preparation by going through the practice management index. Now, if you think about the hundreds of consultations and client engagements Sherry has had over the years, especially from a diagnostic perspective, understanding the team, where their gaps are, what their ambitions are, where it's all going. Taking that mileage and expertise and putting it into a self-guided resource to help you pop your own hood and get clear, that's what the Practice Management Index will do for you. So sign up for the PMI, go to practicemanagementindex.com and invest an hour of your life there are 18 focus areas. And again, the culmination effect here is so incredibly profound. You get it out of your head, you get clear on your gaps, you complete the assessments, and then you press print because it will produce reports for you to help you understand what it is you need to focus on. And I will tell you something, and I've said this to many advisors, 
just going through this exercise, the currency is one hour of your life, and you can do it with your team as well. Having this report and putting this into your, call it introductory kit, as part of the vetting process for somebody, to help them understand what this exercise looked like for you as you created your procedures manual and your org chart and your best practices, this supplements that. Mm -hmm. So it's just an incredible exercise. And it would also be very, very effective uh, for us if you decided to potentially engage us in a individual consultation or a deep dive in terms of an accountability partnering relationship. You'll probably request Sherry <laughs> to work with you on this uh, because, again, we, we've got a great team. Uh, Sherry is in a league of her own, unrivaled in terms of reputation and command for what it takes to have a very successful outcome. So, yeah, I encourage everybody to go through that exercise. We make this available no charge because you've invested your time with us here today. I hope it was valuable. And uh, Sherry, I'll let you have the last word. Yeah, I just, I wanted to mention, Duncan, that one of the things that one of the fellow coaches, Terry, said to me, and it, and it just sticks, you know, it, it's it's lonely at the top. And as business owners and partners and, and senior advisors on the team, you know, it, it really is important to have that individual that you can trust to consult on all kinds of things with your business whether it's succession planning, adding new teams, there's there's so many things that are ebbing and flowing for the, the, the wealth advisory teams we work with. So Pareto does have like a fabulous team of coaches. Many of them have years and years of experience. And so if you're looking for someone to bring you through the paces around, whether it's not the, the, the TCE or working on the teaming one, they've got everything that you need and all the resources that you would ever think of in terms of templates and letters and agendas to really help you get started in this process. So you're not alone, I guess is what I'm saying. And so reach out to Pareto and, and they'll be able to figure out the best way to engage you wherever you're at in your process. I did want to say thank you for your time. I'm, I'm always sensitive. I, I always tell people when they hire a coach that, oh, we'll help you make the money back, but we'll never give you the time that you invest in the sessions. And the same is today. We can't give you the time back, but we certainly hope that as you were listening, you were jotting down a few things as some action items that are actually going to make a meaningful difference, uh, if not in your life today, but over the coming year as you think about what you need to do around putting your succession plan in place, uh, whether it's the smallest first step or fast tracking a few in the middle or towards the end to make sure that you leave your practice achieving all of the goals that we talked about related to succession planning. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Sherry. And I'll just remind everybody, you just prompted me to, I know a couple of people who are uh, pilots and I've asked them both, could you pretty much just sit down in the cockpit, fire it up and go? <laughs> and they both say, yeah, well, I, I could, but I don't. I yeah. follow my checklist, my protocol. Nothing's left to chance. I don't wing it. I follow a process. Mm -hmm. And if you think about that, you think about top performers in any field of endeavor, the highest level of ability tend to also have the highest level of humility, which means they don't believe their own hype. They don't think they have all the answers. They love having another set of eyes look in on what it is they're trying to accomplish so they don't plateau and they don't have anything uh, left undone. So that is the philosophy and the mindset of the very best. 
Uh, if you'd like to look, know more about our approach to helping you monetize fully and make sure that there's a very successful, fulfilling outcome, we'd love to have that conversation. So thank you. And Sherry, thank you. Thanks, Duncan. Thank you for listening to Always On with Duncan McPherson, where our objective is to enable professionals to always be working on their business and on themselves. Want to learn more about Duncan and his team? Visit ParetoSystems.com. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Pareto Systems. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast is powered by Proudmouth, the influence accelerators. If you're like me and want to spend more time educating people and less time selling, Proudmouth helps turn Main Street experts like you into trusted mainstream authorities. They will help amplify your influence over a growing audience of magnetically attracted fans. Visit ProudMouth.com to learn more.